Looking for your next TV show or movie to binge? Well, buckle up, grab the remote, and settle into your couch for this special edition of Crossing the Streams. We're here to help you tune in and get the most out of those 50 monthly streaming channels you're currently paying for. So without any further ado, here's your host of Crossing the Streams, Jeff Dwoskin. Hey everybody, it's Jeff Dwoskin. So excited to be here. I'm always getting letters and emails and texts and skywriting saying, Jeff, we love the podcast. Can't get enough of the podcast, but you only do the podcast once a week. In between that, we need to fill the time, nay, the void that exists when there isn't a new podcast from you to listen to. So here I am to fill that void. Many of you know, every Wednesday I do a live show called Crossing the Streams. It's me and a bunch of my pals. We get together and we talk about TV shows you should be watching. Crossing the Streams originated on this very podcast, episodes 8 and 15 of Live from Detroit, the Jeff DeWaskin Show, featured myself and my two good friends, Ron Lippett and Howard Rosner. We thought, wouldn't it be fun just to get together and just record friends talking about shows that they love with hopes that the people listening would also take interest, love those shows as well, and check them out also. There's so many options out there. Everyone needs suggestions every day. I'm somewhere or on Facebook and I see people saying, what should I be watching? I need a new show to watch. We went live almost a year ago. I invited my good pals, Bob Phillips and Sal D'Amelio, two hilarious comedians, to join me on the live show. We taped every episode. You can check all the live episodes out in their entirety on YouTube. But this special podcast, this is made special for you. I handpicked three segments from the live show throughout the past year, and I'm going to replay them in all their live goodness for you. So now, via podcast, you just need your ears. You just need to tune in to get amazing TV watching suggestions. I know. You're welcome. The first TV show we're going to cover is from... Crossing the streams regular, Howard Rosner, fan favorite of the show. Rosner is going to be talking about I Think You Should Leave with Tim Robinson. Howard also discusses Tim Robinson's amazing show, Detroiters. Like any live show, everything starts out one way, talking about the TV show, and you never know where the conversation is going to go. You'll hear Howard's voice. You'll hear other people's voices. It becomes a whole discussion. You may even hear us referring to people that are commenting on the show from the audience. It's live. It's fun. And here is I Think You Should Leave with Tim Robinson, as led by TV watching aficionado Howard Rosner. Let's move on. We got a uh, a Tim Robinson love fest. Yeah. Let's let's start with I Think You Can Leave. I Think You Should Leave. Well, actually, I'm going to go back and do the You want to start with Detroiters? Yeah, I'm going to Tarantino it, and then I'll come back. I'm going to do the front part. Yeah. So I I was preparing to do I Think You Can Leave for this show. It reminded me. So I Think You Can Leave is a show by Tim Robinson. It's a sketch comedy show. And it reminded me why I fell in love with Tim Robinson's comedy in the first place was a show that was on a couple of years ago, two seasons called Detroiters. Uh, you can get it now on Comedy Central. It was a Comedy Central show or Paramount Plus. Detroiters, especially funny for those of us who live in here in Detroit, because every show had ridiculously local references that for, were from our childhood. Ron, Jeff, and, and I just... Uh, Amazing references, but even without the references, 
I, I went back and started watching old Detroiters episodes the last couple of days. It's absolutely hysterical. Tim Robinson is an amazing writer. And then Sam Richardson, who was in Detroiters with him, played Richard Splett on Veep, um, was the DJ guy in the office, in office Christmas party, who's absolutely hysterical. He's starting to show up in more and more and more things because his delivery is superb. He's this, this quiet, soft, but intelligently funny delivery that's amazing detroiters is an exceptional show it's it is laugh out loud funny and the two of them play off of each other so well so i went back and watched detroiters and then i finished watching uh the new season uh the second season of i think you can leave well it's one of the most Detroiters. a bunch of my friends were in detroiters who were comics that did acting so it it was always fun to see them it was filmed all around detroit I've never been more upset, I think, when a show didn't get re-picked up is when Comedy Central did not pick up Detroiters. Yeah. Like, I don't know what they were thinking. I mean, it was it was seriously one of their best shows. I, I always wondered what people outside of Detroit maybe thought of it. Yeah. Yeah, there's just, just for as an example of, kind of some of the humor, there's an episode, that, the title of the episode from the first season is named Mort Krim, um, which... It's a great episode in and of itself. Mort Krim was the news anchor from of the '90s and early thousands that uh, on the number one network, local network here in Detroit. And they paint him as a guy that they have to go find in a pool hall, like a dirty pool hall bar, to try and get him to do some stuff for him. It's just in a, a hysterical episode in and of itself, but then even funnier because it's so the, like they paint his character, the opposite. Um, another episode, uh, they, they, it's an episode called Rick Mahorn, something in Dearborn, a city in Detroit, Rick Mahorn, the ex Pistons great. Who's a friend of mine that I worked with for a number of years. Um, and, uh, and they're making fun and, and making a, of, uh, a used car guy that we all grew up with his commercials named Melfar superstar. And uh, they're basically making fun of it, but it's again, it's just funny in and of itself. It's a great show. It's super well written. And the, uh, the delivery of both those guys is great. Again, uh, you flash to the new show. I think you can leave it's sketch comedy. It's a little anthology sketch comedy in that a lot of the sketches kind of even come back in future episodes as references. It's a lot of workplace jokes that are that are great. Um, the, it's just it's to me. I think it's the best tape sketch comedy show since Chappelle Show. It's not. It's not on the level. I don't think it's on the level. Chappelle Show might be the best sketch comedy show ever. Yeah. Um, I, you know, but this is. That's pretty it's, close smart it's uh it's a great you know it's a great uh there's there's so many memorable characters in the show there's one guy who uh you know he he like one one sketch where he's at a party and he goes to hold the baby and uh the baby cries when he holds it and he go and he starts talking about how the baby must know that he used to be a piece of shit <laughs> uh, but not anymore and the whole skit gets to the point where everybody's going we all know you used to be a piece of shit, but not anymore. And then it's just the whole episode goes that direction. There's another one that's uh, a fake 
commercial for a, a movie, a trailer for a movie starring uh, named Cratchmore, this crotchety detective. And the guy who plays, the actor who plays Cratchmore is Santa Claus. And then they do a you know, panel uh, show and they go to ask him, how does it affect his work with Christmas? And he starts to take off his microphone and leave the interview because I was, I, I made it very clear. I don't want to discuss Christmas, <laughs> but you're standing <laughs> on. And it's just a brilliant show. Tim Robinson's a great writer. He was one of the few, um, I guess that he was a, a featured player on Saturday night live. And he dropped from doing that to going to be a writer. And there's very few people that have gone that route. It's kind of been the other route. Um, so he's he's a brilliant writer. Um, it's a great watch, an easy watch. Uh, I, I, I highly recommend it. They never really found a spot for him on Saturday Night Live. Right. Um, he, so when you think of the name of the show, I think you should leave. It's the type of humor that this show is. That's how you feel about the main character in any one of these sketches. The shows are like 15 to 17 minutes each, and there's usually about, say, three sketches in each one. So if you think about the guy at a party or something, and you're like, oh, I just I wish this guy would leave, that's the char- every char- main character in every one of these skits. Tim Robinson is very um, generous in the sense that it's not always him that's the focus. Uh, he does let other people sometimes take leads. Uh, there's one where, with, okay, I'll tell you, this is from first season. So if you haven't seen second season, there's a crash in a building. A, a hot dog car crashes into a building. No, everyone, uh, The whole crowd is standing around. No one will take responsibility for who crashed this hot dog mobile into this building, right? Tim Robinson is wearing a hot dog costume. <laughs> But the whole time he's playing it straight. Like who did this? We got to find out who did this. <laughs> right. It's always like, he, well, he refuses to take accountability or responsibility, but he's freaking wearing a hot dog costume. <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> That's the type There's of thing. To, it's, 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 it is really, really funny. And even if like, you're like, some of them don't hit right. I guarantee you, if you watch enough of the episodes, there'll be some, where you laugh so hard. There's one scene in that one uh, skit in the first season. I don't know that I've ever laughed so hard if there was, if it was a skit. It was so funny. And in the second season, there's one where the guy eats this hamburger <laughs> off of someone else's plate. And they're yeah. like, and he's like, You're going to tell, aren't you? We're never going to tell this story. You're going to tell. Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to film you. Say you want to kill the president. What? And like, Yeah, say you want to go. And, and no one will ever see this video as long as this story never leaks. <laughs> There's a lot, like I said, there's a lot of workplace ones. There's one um, where he's sitting in his office eating lunch and somebody comes in and says, hey, Bob's got to leave on a flight. So we're moving the meeting up. And he's like, you can't do that. You can't uh, move lunch. You can't move lunch. You can't just move lunch. So they're sitting in the meeting now in this boardroom and he's wearing a suit and you can see that he's got his hot dog in his sleeve and he's leaning over like this, taking bites of the hot dog. And again, it's a just point. It's an example of a guy that you're like, I just wish you would leave. So uh, a great watch. Um, like Jeff said, they're not even like we, – we. another thing we talk about is 30-minute sitcoms are 22 minutes when they stream. They're even shorter than that. You can binge through the entire – you could do two seasons in a night easily. In two uh, hours, it's a great show. It's like an hour yeah, and a half yeah. year through a season. Yeah, it's yeah. Re- it's really funny. The fake commercials are great. 
and and it's it's a great show. And Detroiters, if you can, you know, the easiest thing to find Detroiters if you have an Apple TV, just uh, hit your series, say Detroiters, it pops right up. It's an excellent show. So he, Tim Robbins, is really funny. Uh, I hope he goes on to do bigger and better things. Uh, but yeah, highly recommend it. Highly recommend it. <laughs> All right. I hope you enjoyed that. That was from episode 32, Howard Rosner's review of I Think You Should Leave and Detroiters. Up next, Ron Lippett is going to take us through Nine Perfect Strangers. This is from episode 42 of Crossing the Streams. You'll also hear some of the guest stars from that episode, Tony Berardo and Jeffrey Calhoun, chiming in with their opinions of the show as well. Enjoy Ron Libet's review of Nine Perfect Strangers. Mine's Nine Perfect Strangers. Uh, and it's interesting. It shows here in the in the promo that you have from uh, Prime Video, but actually it's on Hulu now. That is weird. So I'm not sure how that exactly would happen. You know, I'll, I'll be honest. I am not a huge Nicole Kidman fan. I did, I did like The Others and um, beyond because I do like Scary Flicks, CRP. I know you, you're into that as well. And I thought The Others was well done. But other than other than that, there, I can't think of many films that she's done, Nicole Kidman, that, that I really get excited about. And I was particularly Days not Days of Thunder where she looked good. I mean, but come on. You know, and so, I, you know, when I heard about this show and heard that she, she was portraying a Russian – so now she's she's Nicole Kidman now with a Russian accent. I was really dubious about the effectiveness of of her acting ability in this role, and, and I'll just say I was wrong. I, I, I was wrong. She she is excellent in this role. Uh, she for those of you who don't know the, the storyline, Nicole Kidman runs a self help camp basically that uh, people go to. It's it's not necessarily like for for a drug addiction or whatnot. It's, it's for people to go, kind of go find themselves. Uh, but what you find out early in the story is that she has very unorthodox uh, way of managing her clients. She pairs together her clients in a very specific chemistry designed to extract all kinds of outcomes that you hadn't expected uh, on the front end of this. And that's why the, the title of the, of the show, Nine Perfect Strangers is just that. She puts nine perfect people together and designs outcomes, like I said, you, you wouldn't expect. Second to this, I just will say the talent of Melissa McCarthy knows no bounds. Uh, she's executive producer of this show. I, I don't know how her and, and um, Nicole Kidman got together, but I'll, I'll just say this. She is so freaking talented and she is such an excellent actor in everything she does and her role as a, as a as a screenwriter is is excellent in this in this show and she's very believable as a wounded person um, seeking seeking health through this process and I, I just have to say she's the star of this show as great as Nicole Kidman is as, as Masha the the star Russian uh, Melissa McCarthy and her character just really steals the show and and I will just say one other thing I, I was never a big Bobby Cannavale fan. I, I I didn't know much about him, frankly. It, it wasn't that I was against him or didn't. I, I just didn't know much about him. Uh, he is also excellent in this show and um, very believable. And I will tell you that there is a relationship that develops um, in terms of um, the characters between uh, Bobby Cannavale and Melissa McCarthy and their interplay between the two of them is worth the price of admission for this show. So I, I'm only, I'm six episodes in it's, it's uh, I believe nine episodes for the first season. Uh, I am super enjoying this right now. It's a little dark. It's a little um, freaky. There's some, uh, there's some, you know, kind of um, secondary uh, elements uh, to the storyline, uh, which are a little uh, out there. 
but the overall story of, of nine people coming to heal themselves under the guidance of, of Masha the Russian uh, is a fantastic storyline, and I highly recommend it. On Hulu, these are typically 45 to 60-minute episodes. Uh, they run by really quickly. It's, it's it's easy to binge. They have been dropping one episode per week, but now, like I said, I think they're I think they're through all nine now. So you can you can probably binge it now. Uh, and I, I've really enjoyed it. It kind of took me by surprise. Let's uh, let's go a little deeper because I know Tony actually wanted to talk about this one as well. And I've I've seen there's eight episodes. And Tony, Tony, you've seen all eight. You know, hmm. you can so when, when with Ron, if you don't, yeah. if you, it's not a big deal. The, uh, that's why we're all here. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's meant to give different opinions. I've watched the first four episodes. Well, let's put it this way. When Jeff was like, hey, Tony, you want to come on this week? I was like, yeah, I know what I'm talking about. Perfect Strangers. <sighs> My first thing. And he's like, can't. Dude, we should both talk about it. I mean, that's oh. we could that that's a well, thing. We we could do that. I just wanted him to have another yeah. time. One here, I figured it would help with the conversation. Yeah. But the reason why I'm excited to talk about this and I'm glad it's it's being discussed is I was I agree 100 percent everything you just said, Ron. 110 percent. Probably very similar to like Lasso with with Apple. Like I would pay. In fact, I would even dare to say if this was a movie, if this was a two and a half, three hour movie, even though it's eight episodes and longer, but I would pay to go to the movie theater and watch this thing. And I don't yeah. do that a lot. Yeah. But I thought it was incredible because I was with you the same way. Nicole Kidman, I saw the uh, series she did with uh, Reese Witherspoon before this on HBO, Little Big Things or yeah. Little Liars. Little Big Lies, yeah. And that was really good too. And it, it kind of reminded me a lot of it, just the dark, ominous, a little bit of comedy, but it was uh, you know a lot of character building, a lot of twists and turns. And what I even was more impressed with this is that it kind of ta- it, it takes a... I don't want to say there's clinics out there that are exactly like Masha's because there's not. But there's a lot of clinics in the country right now that are testing. I don't want to go too much into it. Yeah. That are testing this type of practice. Yes. That to me was even more intriguing because when I heard she was doing that, I was like, oh, wait, yes. hold on. I, I'm glad you didn't give it away because I, I don't, I didn't want to give that away because I think that's an important yeah, no, thing no to spoilers, absorb. No, no spoilers. Yeah. But I, I, I agree with everything you just said. Yeah, it's a huge part. And again, I agree with you. The the uh, character building between a lot of different characters throughout is incredible. But it's um it's a very surprising show because there is a lot of humor, but it's more dark than anything. Yeah. Um, but I think by the time you w- I watched all of them in three days, I yeah. waited until uh, last week and I watched them all. And then this week was the final one, I think. So, yeah, I, I did them all and I was super impressed with it. I don't even yeah. think they need to do another season even though they may or may not have set it up for it. But I just thought overall it was probably one of the best shows that I've seen in quite some time. Uh, in terms, I'm of- really glad to hear you say that, you know, and I, and, and I shouldn't have, I, I should have uh, mentioned Michael Shannon too, who plays the character oh, Napoleon. Uh, and, and he's, I, for those of you who don't know Michael Shannon, I mean, he is a terrific actor. I, I first got him in uh, the Leonardo DiCaprio movie, uh, Revolutionary Road, Revolutionary Road, is that what it's called? Yeah. You know, and uh, he played, he, in my mind, stole that movie with one one epic scene with Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, so I, as soon as I saw him in this show, I was like, this is a serious actor, this guy. He's, he's, gonna, he's uh, odd from, yeah. From Steel. Steel. Well, and he was also yeah, in Boardwalk, Midnight Special, too. Boardwalk Empire, if you He see was him. in Boardwalk Empire. That's exactly well, it's, right. It's just funny thinking of him as odd. And he's kind of a goofy dad. He's a kind of oh a movie dad. CRP's talking about him in the Iceman. Was he was he in the Iceman? The Iceman too, which was incredible. Uh, was I didn't see it. Story, yeah, it's, yeah, and a true story, obviously. But he's just, yeah, he's a very well-rounded actor. And man, to see him change throughout, 
every character to see them change. And Melissa McCarthy, I agree with you that she's she stole the show. I couldn't, I can't imagine because now every time I've seen her, the last few movies she's been in, I'm like, Ugh, you ruined Ghostbusters. Like yeah. that's the only thing I could think of. But in this, I have a totally new respect for her, not just Agreed. screenwriter and and producer. Agreed. She she's just so incredibly talented, and I, I frankly, she's so talented that I was worried she would overpower the rest of the cast, but she doesn't. Nope. And I think she does. She fits in perfectly. I had, yeah. I had a couple couple observations. One is I was going to mention Bobby Cannavale too. Mm-hmm. It seems in every uh, episode, while the acting is solid throughout, they they deliver monologues that are just freaking ridiculous. Like at the end of episode three, Michael Shannon does one killer about it. You know, just about yeah. his family yeah. and yeah. the breakthrough that he has. Absolutely unbelievable. It's just like. You can't believe it because the character up to that point, Bobby Cannaval and uh, I believe it's episode four kind of has a revelation. And it's like, you're like, Oh my God. And Melissa McCartney, they do her kind of upfront. And I agree. She's so good. It's funny how comedic actors can tend to be almost better dramatic actors. Sometimes when you think about like Robin Williams, Jim, like Robin Williams. Yeah. um, Yeah. Any of those that when they do serious, sometimes it's, it's better than any serious actor. And so that's, that's always fun. But the interesting thing though, to me, the big winner, if there's a winner of nine perfect strangers, mm-hmm. it's Manny. And I'm going to uh, just Cinto, uh, who was from the good place. Yeah. Who I, in my brain had just had in my head that he was just some, like just some idiot. Cause that's the character that he plays on the good place <laughs> brilliantly. Yeah. But in this one, he does not have that tone of voice. No. Good looking dude. And I'm like, all right, this guy's going to get like tons of roles now. Yeah. Like, this was the best move he could have made. I don't even, I'm like, oh, you are not a one note guy. This is, you're, you can definitely do other things. This, it's the uh, Bradley Cooper wedding singer or wedding crashers moment. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> when all of a sudden people are like, oh, this guy can do it. This guy's a little better than we thought he was. And then goes other, can open up to other roles. I, um, <clears throat> I actually really enjoyed, uh, I'm going to butt in here. Yeah, so I, I watched it. I, I I caught the whole show. Luke Evans was fantastic as almost the, the show's um, antagonist. Yeah. yeah. And he brought a really nice critical eye to what she was doing. And then the challenge there was, can she win him over? Which I thought was a really great way of driving conflict and engaging in the show. And then I actually really like Samara Weaving. She's she's her career is really blowing up. And to see her play this type of character is unusual. And so kind of playing as that that shallow TikTok girl that is doing everything for the likes and posts and then realizes how empty her life is, is awesome. I mean, I think that's why this show really hits people is because they have so many different archetypes of people and their struggles that they're able to kind of play out those universal truths that can grab you in a different way than it will grab me. And we can see a little bit of ourselves inside of these characters. And thus we become invested because if we can watch them survive the traumas they've been through, then it provides us hope as well as from the viewer. So it can be a very cathartic experience. Can I ask a question? Did, did you sense any uh, from Samara weaving, any of the, just a little Annie Murphy from Schitt's Creek, a little bit. Oh, she was totally oh, Annie Murphy. Sure. Yeah. Okay. That was my only criticism. I, can, I, I guess. Sure. She's beautiful. Well, and I, thought she played I, don't, role. I don't know if Annie Murphy was, if it's fair to say it was Annie Murphy. I don't know that Annie Murphy 
did it first either. And that's right. Just, <laughs> that's right. true. That could yeah. just be like yeah. that type of character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, she I do love, it's funny. I'm glad you, I love Jeff. Jeff brings a, a great writing point of view to, to the, to the conversation. That I, sure. I did love, I'm glad you mentioned it. Uh, Luke Evans relationship, friendship with Grace Van Pat, Pat, the uh, uh, Zoe. Yeah. I like really their strong their relationship. It was, it was really cool. Yeah. Tiffany Boone, by the way, was killer in the hunters on (laughs) the hunters with uh isn't that what it was called with uh you know the nazi hunter one she was foxy she was foxy the the last thing i will say about uh nine perfect strangers is this was i can't think of another series where every episode i laughed i was shocked and i got misty in every episode personally Mm -hmm. um and that doesn't happen a lot where you know you actually feel for these characters like you said jeffrey where it was Sometimes just like the Melissa McCarthy one in particular was like that one really got me. But that yeah. monologue got me each time. And it was and it's crazy because they're only 45 you know minute episodes, whatever. But, um, you know, it's in the course of 10 days. I think they were at this retreat. So, right. Them grow uh, and to push it in eight episodes. All those characters is is incredible writing. So it's uh, very impressive. Cool. All right, that was a solid recommendation from Ron Lippin and gang, Nine Perfect Strangers. Catch the full episode that included that review, episode 42 of Crossing the Streams. Catch it on YouTube. Up next, we have McCartney 321 on Hulu with all the chitter chatter about Get Back on Disney+. Plus. Thought I'd take us back to episode 34 where I discussed McCartney 321. Okay, so hey, um, so I watched this show called McCartney 321 on Hulu. It's a Hulu original. Did any of you guys happen to watch this? I did not. No. So what this show is, this is literally kind of just six episodes. It could have been like one giant three-hour kind of thing, but they cleverly and smartly broke it down into like 30 minute chunks, which to me makes something so much easier to watch. So for those of you who don't know, Paul McCartney, who was in this band uh, in the late sixties called the, the monkeys, Beatles. right? <laughs> no, oh, Beatles. The monkeys, Sorry, Beatles. They, they based it on the monkeys. <laughs> and so uh, Paul McCartney, obviously one of the um, biggest names in, in music and just the Beatles being one of the biggest bands of all time. It's a conversation with him and Rick Rubin. Rick Rubin has been called one of the most you know, important producers, music producers in the past 20 years, was named once one of the most influential people in the world. So he was a co-president of Columbia Records. He co-founded Def Jam Records. Right. And he's like he was known for kind of doing one of Johnny Cash's late. I mean, he's been known for a million things. He's done a million things. But like he's worked with almost every major artist in the world. He did one of my favorite Neil Diamond things. He had a way of working with the, the musicians to kind of get them down to like their their core sound. He, he's, he's just a, a machine with, with how to do it. So it's basically just a conversation between him and Paul McCartney. Most of the conversation, they're, they're this mix board. And so what they're talking about is the songs, but like the minutia detail in the songs, of which I have to admit, I don't. I don't appreciate as much as I'm sure a lot of people would. Like, for example, one time I went into an appliance store to buy speakers and they're like, listen, 
these are the $500 speakers. I'm like, mm-hmm. And these are the ones you can you can just get for free because we just threw them out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't tell the difference. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, just, just to give you an idea. I mean, just uh, the baseline. But Teenier. So, teenier, yeah. So they were sitting there and they'd be talking about like how he would play the bass or how John, and it wasn't just about him. It was John Lennon and, and Ringo and their influences. But they had the, they were sitting there for a lot of it at the mix board. He'd take away all the sound where you take away all the uh, instruments and it would just be the music. We would just, he'd play, he'd change how different things came together. And Paul would talk about the stories of how they would mix things together and how they were going for certain sounds and how they would come in as sort of like this one type of song and like change it right in the middle and all that kind of stuff. So it's each episode sort of has like its own little theme. The first episode is sort of like just the early days and going through um, some of the stories. And I do have to say, I've watched a lot of things over the years on the Beatles. And I, there was only a couple of stories that I felt were like repeats. You know what I mean? Where, oh, I've heard this story before. He did tell a, a story, which I didn't know the story. I only knew the fact of when Eric Clapton came in for While My Guitar Gently Weeps because George Harrison had written that. And George Harrison originally wasn't a, a writer for the Beatles, but he grew to be a writer and arguably grew to be one of the, probably the best writers yeah. in, in music. And so, but he knew he needed Eric Clapton. He probably didn't realize Eric Clapton was stealing his wife, but he knew he needed Eric Clapton to come in. So he was, he brought him in to do the guitar because it was the music was more important than what he, he could have done it. Right. Wow. And so they're just telling stories like that. Even though I don't think he's credited, he might be credited on the album. I, I'm not sure if he is. But um, then they talked about just, there's a whole episode just on the musical influences and sort of the innovations that they had. Because the Beatles were known for like doing like just some crazy stuff that no one else had done with the sounds and, and mixing. And it was the first time I ever heard Paul McCartney, and I'm sure he has, I'm not saying, but like say Pete Best's name. He told, I think it was in episode three or four, where he, they talked about Ringo. Ringo, I have to admit, didn't realize was the oldest Beatle. He's older than all of them. Didn't realize that. He was the most mature musician of them all. And by just happenstance, Pete Best doesn't show up one day. They get Ringo Starr to come in. And the way Paul was talking about Ringo Starr playing behind him, George, and John, was it was like all of a sudden, boom, they, this made the band. Like It was like Ringo was what elevated them to the set, to what they knew they could be then that's that's one of the reasons they're like we got to get this guy <laughs> we had to make him part of our band and it's funny because i never i don't know how you guys are but growing up with the beatles it was always john and paul then kind of george and then ringo was just a fun drummer who you really you know yeah. you always thought he was just right. like the fourth yeah but it's from hearing paul tell this story it was fascinating to hear him talk about it how ringo was like this you know just rock when it came to what eventually became what we all know and love is the Beatles. You know, then it kind of talks about George Martin and his impact on the band and how much influence he had. It, they considered him the fifth Beatle in terms of how putting the music together and uh, a lot of the different things that they did. It was George Martin that came to him and said, we're yesterday, let's put, um, let's put the strings on it. Let's, you know, let's add that. They were totally against that at first. And then, you know, so, but it was like the, his ear that, they had this this real relationship and connection that was very uh, kind of special and, and kind of you know made the magic there. They do cover a lot of John stuff and some George songs too. So it's not just a deep dive on Paul's stuff. When they do like uh, they talk about 
Live and Let Die or some of his solo stuff. You know, they, they do kind of go into that as well, just in terms of McCartney, but they always kind of come back to the Beatles. And then, yeah, and then, you know, this, it talks a lot about, about his, his relationship with uh, John Lennon and how he, how Paul McCartney became the bassist, the, the, the bass player for the band. Not originally, they were all guitar players, but the other two wouldn't do it. So he did, and then ultimately became one of the best bass players like ever. And the funny yeah. thing is, the guy Paul McCartney can't read music. Like they, he would play it, and someone else would write it down. He still to this day cannot wow. read music and uh, or write it. It's, it's fascinating because he can play every single instrument. He can do, you know, when he did the original McCartney album after the Beatles broke up, he did everything. He played every album, engineered the whole album, put everything together, and then named it McCartney because John Lennon named his Lennon. <laughs> you know, they don't they don't talk about it now, but if you go back to that original McCartney album, there's a picture of two Beatles having sex on it. You know, basically, yeah. <laughs> basically f the Beatles type thing. When they so, were at the, when they were at the mixing board, did Paul say we need more cowbell? Did he say that? <laughs> <laughs> I got a fever. I guess. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, this is, I, I haven't seen it, but I know that, uh, I'm going to mention this to my wife and I, and my wife is a Beatles fanatic. Just, uh, so just, you know, a few years ago, I was fortunate enough with my wife to do a Beatles, a private Beatles tour of Liverpool, um, with an expert. And we were able to go to all these great locations and get the inside stories. So, um, we went on Penny Lane. Um, we stood in the roundabout, we went into the barber shop just, and, and he walked us through the lyrical writing, Eleanor Rigby, Eleanor Rigby's grave, um, where they used to hang out across the street from the school where John and Paul met. Um, and that's where they would go to smoke and hang out. And, you know, he would just say all the lonely people were all these random graves. Uh, it was the coolest thing. And then of course I proposed to my wife in John Lennon's childhood bedroom that he grew up in. So, um, so I'm going to have to watch this show for sure, Jeff. That's awesome. Uh, it, you made me think of, and maybe it's something, um, I'll review down the road, but, uh, another one, it, it sounds similar with him and Rick Rubin to, and I, I'm not going to remember the name, but one of my favorite, um, music documentaries is, uh, Jimmy Page, The Edge from U2 and Jack White, the three of them sitting there playing guitar and talking about playing guitar and then talking about some of the, like the key parts of some of their songs and they're each trying to learn how to properly play the others. I, I love stuff like that because you get real into uh, to how they, it was how these iconic songs were created. Uh, like, you know, it's, it's really cool to see that. So, Howard, did you ever see Howard or all you guys, uh, James Corden, uh, car karaoke with Paul McCartney. Did you see that? That was I did. Awesome. So we were there. We were in Liverpool like two months after that was aired on James okay. Corden's show. Okay. So, uh, for example, Paul McCartney's childhood house that he walked through with James Corden, yeah. the woman, the woman who was there in the house because it's part of the it's a national museum. Basically, she was the person who uh, was there when we went and visited the house. Okay. So we actually talked to her about that. She had been there for years doing that and had never met him. And then him and James Corden just show up wow. one day to the barber shop. The barber shop that they go into is right on Penny Lane. We, we were there for that too. Yeah, it's pretty pretty cool. 
All right, that was McCartney 3, 2, 1. Between that, Nine Perfect Strangers, I Think You Should Leave, and Detroiters, you've got a lot of homework, a lot of TV binge-watching to dive into. Remember, you can watch all the episodes of Crossing the Streams on YouTube. Just search out The Jeff DeWaskin Show, subscribe to our channel, tweet me at Jeff DeWaskin Show, let me know how you like this bonus episode. Can't wait to hear your feedback. I'm looking forward to bringing you more bonus Crossing the Stream episodes. And until then, go cross some of your own streams. And by that, I mean turn on the TV and watch watch all the stuff we suggested. And I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this special edition of Crossing the Streams. Visit us on YouTube for full episodes and catch us live every Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Now turn this off and go watch some TV. And don't forget to tell your family you'll be busy for a while.